We're going to be learning the Hamedrash Vahamasa and Parshas Mishpatim. The Torah begins the Eila Mishpatim. These are the rules. So the Medrash records a debate between Rabbi Shmal and Rabbi Akiva. According to Rabbi Shmal, Mosif al Harishonim, these rules, which tend to do with civil laws, are in addition to the earlier ones. Just like the earlier ones came from Sinai, so Hashem gave them, so too these civil judgments also come from Hashem. So these are not just human-made laws that the Torah is recording, but these have the same status as the laws of Shabbos and Kosher and all sorts of ritual laws. The Torah also includes civil laws. They were all given by Hashem at Har Sinai at the giving of the Torah. Rabbi Akiva says the Eila Mishpatim means Archam Lifnehem Kishulchan Aruch. Place them in front of the people like a set table. In other words, make them very clear for the people to understand. So the Amedrash Vamasa wants to understand what are Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva debating. Now, there's another debate between them. The Torah says, Elohim lo sekalel, don't curse a Lord. So Rabbi Shmuel understands that we're talking about a secular person, meaning a person in authority, a judge, don't curse them. Rabbi Akiva understands that this is the word Elohim referring to God. So it's saying don't curse God. Now the Gemara says practically both are prohibited to curse God or to curse a human judge. The only question is what is exactly the meaning of this word in the Torah? So that's a debate between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva and Ahmedish Ramasa is going to explain all this. So he begins with another question. One of the first rules that the Torah tells us right after the giving of the Torah is that if someone curses their parents, they get the death penalty. So he asks a question, why later on in the Torah, when someone curses Hashem, Moshe is unsure what to do? This should be a simple kal v'chomer. If for cursing your human father, you get the death penalty, so certainly for cursing God, you should definitely get the death penalty. So why is Moshe unsure in this situation? So he answers that there is a principle in halacha of ein onshin min hadin. We don't apply a kalvachomer in order to punish someone. If we don't know from the Torah that this person deserves this punishment, we're not going to punish them through applying a kalvachomer. And one of the explanations is because perhaps Perhaps the new punishment is not actually enough to atone for the sin. In other words, punishment A atones for sin A. But sin X, which is worse than A, maybe punishment A is not even enough. So that's exactly why Moshe was unsure whether he should kill the person who cursed Hashem, because since that's a worse sin than cursing one's father, maybe the punishment of death is not even enough. In other words, there is no human punishment which would be sufficient for that sin. So that explains why Moshe was unsure what to do. But there's still a follow-up problem because the view of the Rambam, and this is quoted in the Magid Mishnah in Hilchos Macholos Asuros Beis Aleph, is that if there is anyways a prohibition in the Torah, then you can give a punishment through applying a Kalvachomer. In other words, if the Torah didn't prohibit sin X, so then you're not allowed to give a punishment based on a Kalvachomer. But if there is already 
a prohibition on the books. So the Torah prohibited sin X. It just didn't specify a punishment. Then according to the Rambam, you could apply a Kalvachomer in order to give a punishment. So now the Torah already says in this week's Parsha, Elohim lo sekalel, don't curse God. So the prohibition is on the books, just there's no punishment. So now according to the Rambam, we're back to the question, why didn't Moshe apply a Kalvachomer in order to give the Megadef, the person who cursed God, the death penalty? So the Hamedrish Vahamasa answers because we have a principle that ain't muktam umuchar Torah. Certain things in the Torah are not in chronological order. So it could be that the story of the Megadef happened before the Pasuk of Elohim Lo Sekalel was given to Moshe. So that's why Moshe was not able to apply a Kalvachomer. He didn't know what to do because Elohim Lo Sekalel, even though it's recorded in this week's Parsha, way before the story of the Megadef, but it was not actually chronologically given until after the story of the Megadev. But now, says the Hamed Rishvah very brilliantly, this is going to depend on another issue that the Gemara raises. When were the mitzvahs of the Torah given? Were they all given in detail at Har Sinai, at the giving of the Torah itself? So Moshe got all of the details at that moment. Or did Moshe get the major principles of the Torah, but not each detail? The details were only given later. And this is a debate between Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Ishmael. According to Rabbi Akiva, all the details of the Torah were given at Har Sinai. So all the rules in Parshas Mishpatim were given at Har Sinai before the story of the Megadeth. So how can we say that Elohim Lo Sekalel occurred after the story of the Megadev? So says the Hamedrash Vahamasa, it must be that according to Rabbi Akiva, even though he believes that many of the details of the Torah were given at Har Sinai, it's not literally all of them. It just means that a good percentage of the details of the mitzvahs were given at Har Sinai, but there are exceptions, and one of the exceptions is Elohim Lo Sekalel. So that's how we would make sense of this whole issue, according to Rabbi Akiva, that even though he believes most of the details of the mitzvahs were given at Har Sinai, Elohim Lo Sekalel was an exception. And then later, the story of the Megadev happened. Moshe was unclear what to do about that. And then at some point after that, he got the prohibition of Elohim Lo Sekalel not to curse God. But according to Rabbi Shmuel, that's not going to work. Because even though he believes that in general, the details of the mitzvahs were not given at Har Sinai. They were given throughout the period in the desert. But at Har Sinai, Moshe only got the principles of the Torah. But when it comes to the rules in Parshas Mishpatim, Rabbi Shmuel explicitly says that those are the exception. They were given at Har Sinai. That's the medrash we began with that Rabbi Shmuel learns that those mitzvahs are compared to the mitzvahs given at Har Sinai, that this unit of mitzvahs in Parshas Mishpatim are the same as the few mitzvahs which were given in detail at Har Sinai. So according to Rabbi Shmuel, the mitzvahs of Parshas Mishpatim, that unit, were all given at Har Sinai, including Elohim Lo Sekalel. So there's no way that it was given after the story of the Megadeth.
So now this beautifully explains why, according to Rabbi Ishmael, Elohim lo sekalel refers to an earthly judge. Because it can't be a reference to Hashem, otherwise Moshe would not have been ignorant about what to do about the Megadeth. He would have been able to figure out that the Megadeth gets the death penalty. So that's why Rabbi Shmuel has to say that it's a reference to an earthly judge not cursing them. But the rules about not cursing Hashem were not given until later. They're not included in Parshas Mishpatim. Whereas Rabbi Akiva holds that the rules in Parshas Mishpatim are not explicitly given at Har Sinai. So even though ordinarily he believes that a lot of the details of the mitzvahs were given at Har Sinai, he can say that Elohim lo sekalel is an exception. So that's why Rabbi Rabbi Akiva says that the word Elohim in this context has the general meaning of referring to Hashem. And even though it's saying not to curse Hashem, but again, chronologically, it was given after the story of the Megadeth. So this explains why Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva argue about the meaning of that word. And it's connected to their overall debate about what Moshe got at Harsinai. Did he get the details or did he mostly get the principles? And that debate connects with how we understand Parshas Mishpatim. According to Rabbi Shmuel, Moshe generally got the principles, but the unit of rules in Parshas Mishpatim are some of the few details that Moshe did get directly at Har Sinai. Whereas according to Rabbi Akiva, in general Moshe got many of the details of the mitzvahs. So there's no need to say that the rules of Parshas Mishpatim were an exception. In general Moshe got a lot of the details and then those details are reported throughout the Torah, not necessarily right at the giving of the Torah. So this is a nice discussion of a very important debate between Rabbi Shmuel and Rabbi Akiva. Now, the second drasha has to do with the mitzvah, which is repeated many times throughout the Torah, including in Parshas Mishpatim, not to oppress a stranger or a convert. So the Medrash says, The Torah commanded in 36 places to love, to treat well a ger, a convert. Rabbi Eliezer Eliezer says, because they have a bad nature. Now, this is obviously a very strange phrase, because if converts have a bad nature, then why are we treating them well? It should be the opposite. So some of the commentators explain that Rabbi Eliezer's concern is that if the convert is mistreated, they'll go back to their original non-Jewish family. So we're concerned about driving the convert out of Judaism. But says the Hamedrash Vahamasa, that phrase, suro ra, in the Gemara, actually refers to a bad nature, not that they're going to return to their original family and nation. So he doesn't like that explanation of the Medrash. He's going to interpret it differently. And again, we have to understand why, because converts have a bad nature, they should be treated extra well. Reb Shimon ben Yochai says, who's greater, someone who loves the king or someone who the king loves them? So he answers that someone the king loves is greater. And the Torah says that God loves the convert. So that shows how much converts are beloved. So to explain all this, the Hamedrash Vahamasa begins with another mitzvah in this week's Parsha. The Torah talks about the Shalosh Regalim, the three festivals when the Jews would go up to Yerushalayim to the Beis HaMikdash. Now, there is an interesting comment of the Medrash when Bilam and his donkey are arguing. So the donkey refers to why did you hit me Shalosh Regalim three times? So the Medrash interprets that the donkey is referring to the Shalosh Regalim 
and it's rebuking Bilam. Why are you trying to uproot the Jewish people who observe the Shalosh Regalim? So this is very strange. What is the connection between Bilam's donkey's rebuke and the Shalosh Regalim? And why does the Medrash insert this into that Pasuk, which seems to have no connection to this? So the Hamedrash Vahamasa explains very nicely that the problem with Bilam and all these types of anti-Semites is not only that they attack the Jewish people, but even more than that, they always act like they're the righteous ones. It's the Jews who deserve it and they're doing the right thing. So instead of saying we're doing the wrong thing by attacking the Jewish people, they always justify it as if they're the ones that are doing what God wants them to be doing. So that's exactly the message that God is trying to send Bilam that what he's doing is not the right thing. And in the olden days, the sorcerers and the people into magic would always evaluate whether what they were doing was correct, whether God was on their side, depending on whether the journey went easily or not. So if there were all sorts of little things going wrong in their journey, then they would know that God was against them. And if the journey went smoothly, then they would know they were on the right track. So that's the message that God is sending Bilam by making all sorts of problems that his donkey won't listen and the donkey keeps going off the road, all to show him that what he's doing is improper. Now, says the Hamedrash Vahamasa, the Gemara also has a similar attitude. It says, Shluchei mitzvah enan nizokin. People who are going to do a mitzvah, they're going to do the right thing, don't get harmed. So it's the same attitude that if you're doing the right thing, the journey will be smooth. And where do we learn that from? From Aliyah Laregel, the people who are going up to Yerushalayim, that since they're doing the right thing, they won't get damaged, they won't get hurt on the way up. So the mitzvah of Shalosh Regalim is what shows us that when God approves of what we're doing, it goes smoothly. And when there's all sorts of obstacles, it means we're on the wrong path. So that's exactly why the Medrash connects it with Bilam's donkey's rebuke, because the whole point of what the donkey's doing is to show him that things are not going well on this journey because he's doing the wrong thing. Now, says the Hamedrash Vahamasa, don't be surprised that someone like Bilam could fool himself into thinking that attacking the Jewish people was the right thing to do and God would support him because we see this throughout all of history. All sorts of anti-Semites convince themselves that they stand for truth and justice and that the crimes they commit against the Jewish people are all for the right reason. So this is the standard ideology of these wicked people that they're able to justify and convince themselves and perhaps others that what they're doing, even though it's wicked, is in fact the right thing. Now, he refers to something else that he said earlier in his drush on Parshas Lech Lecha, that the original people who came up with this idea was Sidom. Even though they were totally wicked, especially to people who were foreigners, they were able to explain what they're doing, that it's nationalism, that they're taking care of their own, and they're keeping out the foreigners who don't belong and are going to take their resources and be a drain on society. So Sodom represents this nationalism, which was wicked, but they were able to convince themselves and they portrayed themselves as if what they're doing is justice and it's the right thing. So this is exactly the model that Bilam borrows. He also takes up this idea that it's his job to protect his people from these foreigners. The Jews are coming up from Egypt. They're going to invade their land. And Bilam is the protector of his people. So instead of seeing what he's doing for the wickedness that it is, 
he portrays himself as defending his homeland and his people. So this is exactly the attitude that the Torah utterly rejects. In 36 places, the Torah says that you have to love the foreigner. So the Torah explicitly rejects this whole ideology that it's our job to just protect those around us at the expense of others, but rather the Torah teaches that we should extend to caring about everybody, whoever is around us, regardless of where they came from. And he quotes that the Medrash compares the Jewish prophets to Bilam, that Yirmiyahu and Yechezkel, even though they were Jewish prophets, but they cared about even the non-Jews, they cared about the whole world, and Bilam is the opposite. He tries to destroy a whole nation. So the Medrash is making this exact point, that the Jewish prophets were filled with concern for the whole world, all nations, as opposed to Bilam, who was willing to destroy a whole nation just because they weren't one of his immediate people. So this shows us the difference between the outlook of the Torah versus Bilam. Now, the Amedrash Ramasa continues, why in fact does the Torah have to command so many times, 36 times, that we should take care of the foreigner? There's two ways to see this. Either the Torah is saying that the ger, the convert, is even greater than the born Jew. So there's a few commandments about being good to born Jews, but there's even more commandments about being kind to the ger because they're even better than the regular Jew. Or you could look at this the other way, that it's because the convert is on a lower level than the born Jew that the Torah has to keep emphasizing it to try to stress it because the born Jew is actually greater than the convert. So says the Amedrash Vamasa, this issue is a debate within the Medrash. The first view the Tanakama holds that the Torah stressed 36 times to take care of the convert because the ger is on a higher level than the regular Jew. So that's why the Torah is stressing it so much. Rebbe Eliezer, on the other hand, disagrees. And he says that the Torah stresses it, Lefisha Suro Ra, because in fact the convert is on a lower level than a regular Jew. So that's why the Torah has to try to stress it to compensate because the ger is on a lower level than a born Jew. And then Reb Shimon Bar Yochai comes around and he agrees with the Tanakama. So that's why he says that the convert is greater than a regular Jew because the Torah says that Hashem loves the ger. So Reb Shimon Bar Yochai agrees with the Tanakama. They both hold that a ger is on a higher level than a regular Jew. That's why the Torah stresses avas hager loving a ger, whereas Rebbe Eliezer holds that a ger is on a lower level, and that's why the Torah stresses it. So we see from all this how antithetical the teachings of the Torah are to this form of nationalism which discriminates against foreigners. And the Amedrash Vamasa adds that when these people take up the mantle of nationalism, you still can't just discriminate against foreigners. You have to have some sort of excuse to explain what you're doing. So he says that generally they have two two forms of an excuse. Either our nation, our land is being invaded by these foreigners and they're going to make all sorts of new laws. They're going to take over the system of justice and we're all going to have to live under their new foreign rules. 
or alternatively, they focus on their own life, that even in their private lives, they're going to have to live with all sorts of different people and they won't be able to live according to the culture and norms and customs that they're used to because these foreigners are going to come into their private living spaces and bring all sorts of new customs with them. Says the Hamedrash Vahamasa, the Torah negates both of these. It says, Ki yagur itchager, if a convert lives with you, so that's talking about your personal living space, and there's a foreigner there, be'artzechem, or in your land. So that refers to the land as a whole, the government and the nation. And the Torah is saying, if either of those concerns arise about your personal living space or your country, lo sonu oso, you cannot oppress a foreigner. So the Torah negates both of these excuses. And the Hamedrash Vahamasa adds that we all know about the destructive end of Sodom. Because they acted this way, the whole place was destroyed. He says, but unfortunately, we continue to see this kind of behavior nowadays. In his time, he's talking about that there are Jewish communities that are totally divided into different groups and cliques, and they don't get along with each other, and they don't allow other people into their group. And he says, these are Jews who are not even living in their own communities. They're anyways in exile in some European city where they live at the mercy of the local non-Jewish authorities and they're still acting as if they're the natives and the other people, the new immigrants, are the foreigners. And the whole thing doesn't make sense because they're all foreigners and they're all in exile there. And still, there are Jewish communities where people differentiate between the natives versus the foreigners and they have all this discrimination against the new people, the new immigrants who are coming. And the Torah's attitude about all this is that we should not be acting this way to foreigners, to people who are immigrants, because we ourselves lived in Egypt. We know what it's like. We were in that situation ourselves, so we should understand the compassion and the mercy and the openness and welcomingness which should be given to those who are immigrants or refugees. So this is another very beautiful drasha and obviously a very timely one as well, both in terms of anti-Semites who claim to be doing things in the name of justice when all they're doing is wickedness, as well as in the argument against nationalism and discrimination against foreigners and refugees.